Hello, welcome back to How to PhD episode number 25. In this week's episode, we are going to be talking about how you can establish yourself as an independent researcher and grow your network. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Aaron and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Julia. Hello. And so Julia, this week we are talking about how to network or establish yourself uh, as an independent researcher. So what hopefully are we going to help the listeners gain from this episode? Yeah, so I think we really reflected on what has been helping us um, through our throughout our PhD mm. um, to become more independent and meaning that like working towards being someone who has a lot of research contacts um, and um, how you can find future positions um, on collaborations. And so, yeah, we're going to share with you um, what what has been working for us really yeah and pretty much and and some really practical advice on sort of where do you where and how do you go mm. about doing this right exactly what does networking mean right and how you should do this um, and as you say we've got some examples to back this all up from our own experience so in this episode we will have I think we'll be talking around five key opportunities you can you've got uh, during your PhD to do this kind of networking stuff and a lot of this stuff you can start with today and we'll be starting very close to home with things that you can do right now with your university department. So let's talk about things that you can start doing with your university department and I guess Julia uh, some of the easiest networking opportunities are really with your own sort of unit or your department. Exactly yeah yeah, I think so. Um, so for example at Warwick Medical School we have um, different well we are um, kind of um, grouped into different units and um, so I was part of one one unit the primary care um, unit um, at work medical school and I they have like monthly meetings and I started attending them um, and to be honest at the beginning I didn't really feel that they were like super relevant for me um, but and especially I think in times where you're still trying to figure out your research question you mm. think like oh my god I'm wasting my time by sitting here um, yeah. listening to something that is not yeah. directly relevant to my research but over time it has been so so um, helpful for me to be part of that unit and follow like what people are doing what they're working on um, and also um, as a place where I can ask them questions and get support and it has been so so helpful and I think just by really um, setting time um, away for those meetings even if you at the beginning might feel um, you, you don't have time for that or it's not so relevant stick with it really because yeah. um, later onwards I think can be really important um, and uh, to be honest I think that's how I um, got my research fellow position um, at Warwick Medical Schools that I knew so many people and they knew what I was doing and um, so I already had had a big like network um, at, at medical school yeah. that I could use then they knew oh Julia's gonna about to finish her PhD so she might you're looking for positions now so i think just by showing your face being present getting involved um and, and showing interest in, think, into your unit that is really key yeah i think that's the key point is that often with this kind of when we talk about networking then people often think oh i have to be super extroverted and this kind of big voice and you know know exactly what to say and and the smart sentences and things but actually yeah as you say just showing up and showing yeah, your face be and, and being there just asking questions yeah showing interest in other people's research yeah. is a fan is, is networking and yeah, it's just exactly. as effective and I, I think at the beginning it can be a bit 
daunting. So I, I remember when I started also um, as a non-native speaker, uh, but I think a lot of units, they use a lot of abbreviations, for example. Yeah, so I sometimes was sitting there thinking, what are they talking about? Or a lot of studies have like um, short like names um, and, and you wonder like, what are they talking about? But then over time, you, you will it will be easier for you to follow and to engage. At the beginning, I think I was mostly just listening. But then over time, as you said, like I was asking questions and um, yeah, that that really helped me um, to... Um, yeah, be more part of that community. Yeah. And so, you know, there may be a situation where you don't have these kind of regular departmental meetings. Um, so there may be things in the wider community at your university which you can get involved with. So, for example, a lot of universities have some kind of postgraduate community. Um, now, that can be called... It can be named many different things, but there'll be usually one person who kind of heads up all of the kind of social activities for postgrads um, and, and just follow them, see what events are there and just, just go along to them. And I think um, sort of really that's a fantastic way of meeting colleagues outside of your department. Um, and in fact, Julia, uh, I guess one of a lot of the kind of projects that you've worked on have come about through these kinds of close collaborations right yeah and i was just gonna say like if so even if there's not like um, so much going on in the postgraduate community then um be brave and initiate something yourself as well so um for example in my phd together with um another um colleague who was doing a phd um in a yeah health related area but in a different department we just uh, realized oh wow there's like several people who are doing health-related topics across the university. Why not create a um, doctoral health group like um, so bring, to bring together PhD students with a similar kind of um, interest? And I think, yeah, just find those opportunities and that will look great as well on your CV if yeah. you show initiative and, and build something up like that. Yeah, um, and as you say, it can be really as simple as just starting a monthly meetup and, and exactly. you just book a room and, and that's it, you know. So mm. many, you know, look for those kinds of opportunities. Um, and of course, you know, really taking a step back and one of the most simple ways to just get yourself and get your work out there is use opportunities or create opportunities to present within your department. So again, a bit like you don't have to create like a sort of formal regular meeting group. It could just be a one-off that you just say an email around the department and just say, look, um, you know, I've uh, I'm interested in presenting my work for 10 minutes. And we've mentioned this before in previous episodes, and it's such a valuable method. And, you know, I want to present for 10 minutes. And if you're interested, please attend at this time in, in this room. And yeah. that's, you know, people then see that you're putting yourself out there, you're putting your research. And to be honest, you can do this very, very early on. In mm. the Even in the first couple of months, I remember presenting my work at a postgrad um, meetup. And I, I had no research question. I had no, I just knew roughly what topic I was working in and I just presented the background of the topic um, and then people got to know yeah, you. Yeah I remember we had a really good discussion after that as well yeah. so a lot of people give them their input and thoughts and that can really help you. It just gets you out of that kind of world and, and yeah. just gets your name known. Yeah and I think often when we, we think about how can you establish um, collaborations we think oh that it's something quite far away from us or but I think just starting with your closest colleagues as well um, or your friends um, that you're friends with at the university for example um, can be your greatest collaborators so for example um, a friend of mine she um, was doing a systematic review on her research topic which is very different from mine but because I had experience in the method um, I could offer her like look I can help you out with that and I think there's a 
such a benefit of like working with people that you know already and that you like because you know you work together well um, and communicate well together um, and yeah that's a great way to get a co-publication out with someone um, and again by so by attending these unit meetings you will get to know what people are working on and if you're interested in someone's work in your department so for example one researcher in my field was doing like research in women's health with which is really what I was quite keen and interested in so I just um, sent an email after one of her presentations that like look I think your research is really exciting if there's any opportunity for me to get involved I would really appreciate that and um, yeah she came back to me and yeah we published a paper together um, so again I think just um, sending out you're interested in someone's work and um, if you have capability to get involved great um, um, and yeah that that can really strengthen your um, research profile yeah. if you get involved in other people's Absolutely. See, it can research. be as simple as sending an email that's yeah. that's all it can be networking uh, so now that we've talked about a lot of the advantages of really sticking quite close to home let's talk about a networking event that's kind of I guess what a lot of people think of when they think of academic networking uh, which is conferences So let's talk about academic conferences. Now, I think in all honesty, um, I feel like because at the time when I went to these conferences uh, during my PhD, I, I didn't really have a whole lot of confidence in my work. So I feel like, you know, looking back in hindsight, I didn't really make the most of the conferences and certainly didn't get a whole lot out of it apart from a, a publication, really. Um, no, that is something. Which is, is something, something, which is something. But I think in terms of networking, there's some things that we've picked up sort of in our in the, in the years that followed, uh, which hopefully you guys can use uh, as, as we return to doing in-person conferences. And I think one of the first things to do is really picking the right conference Right, where people are there with, with a similar similar yeah, interest. I think that's where I went wrong with pick, choosing my conference sometimes because it was quite like a lot of focus on um, the medical side of my research topic, um, which I'm not. I'm, yeah, there, there, most people attending there were had a were healthcare professionals, and I didn't fully fit in. So I felt like if I would have presented maybe at a user experience or health related user experience conference something, maybe I would have got more out of that. Um, but yeah, so I think I felt a bit out of place. So yeah, mm. as you said, like being at the right place or applying to the right conference yeah. is something you should maybe discuss with your supervisors. Yes. And I think on that, discuss it and, and try mm. and go with your colleagues and supervisors. Now, I think uh, one thing I one thing I think I did right with the conferences is that I think in nearly all occasions I had uh, either a supervisor or a group of colleagues that I went with. Um, and this can really help you in terms of networking which is what this whole episode about it, it just gives you a bit of confidence and a bit of a backup that you've got mm. people around you um but certainly don't fall into a trap of only communicating with those that you go with but it can certainly help right? yeah because i think the supervisors are very likely to be very well connected so they might know know already a lot of people that will go there and that can that help you um to get some people to talk to again i think something i did wrong i went to my conference alone or there was mm, no other yeah. colleague of mine and at one conference or both conference actually one of my supervisors was there but he was so busy that he couldn't really like take time to introduce me to lots of people um but i think it depends on your supervisor as well um and maybe letting them know as well that you're a bit worried about going to the conference yeah. whether they can help you um um set you up with some people yeah. <laughs> um 
that that can help. So some really yeah simple things for networking is you know ensure that you give your contact contact details at the end of your presentation or post a presentation. Always stick around to take questions afterwards. Um, and I think one of the key things, and we talked a lot about this in our conferences episode, which is a maybe 10, 10 12 episodes back. Um, but really, there's there's a huge amount of uh, benefit in preparing before you get to the conference and so look at the papers and researchers that are interesting to you which you know they're going to be presenting and, and the times they're going to be presenting and and don't be afraid to approach them with a question you know often I think we sometimes are not really sure what to say to people right particularly if they're a well-known researcher right but if you just approach them with a question about the research that they've just uh, presented and and of course you can prepare these questions beforehand right so you can have a little bit of prep um, and, and it's a fantastic icebreaker and then once you once they've answered that just try and find some kind of link towards your own mm. work and just say oh that's really interesting because I'm a PhD candidate who's working on this and uh, I could see the connections, blah, blah, blah. And just, you know, just have doing that little bit of prep beforehand uh, can be so powerful. And so, yeah, I think the main things there is really pick the right conference uh, and really think about who, who you want to get in touch with. Um, and of course, those kinds of events at the conference, such as the conference dinner and things, I think are a little bit more difficult to network at be- simply because it's a bit more of a social mood, right? So mm-hmm, you can mm-hmm. you can socially connect with people. Which um, is the first step often, good. right? If you then know with, and like other people, you see how they behave, how they talk to each other. I think you can learn a lot from these social wins as well to see, is that someone I want to work with or yeah, not? Absolutely, absolutely. So conferences, very classic method of, of networking and, and very well worth going and, and being well prepared for. So the third kind of networking opportunity that we're going to be talking about uh, is something that's uh, something that we kind of picked up on towards the end of our PhD uh, careers. And uh, this is something that really it depends a lot on the location that you're at as well. Uh, but these are science festivals. So let's talk a little bit about science festivals. Now, what we mean by these, and, and there could be different terms depending on which country you're in, but typically these are kind of events that are organized uh, where there'll be a series of talks, a little bit like TED events, right? But they don't have to be as kind of big and well-known as TED events, um, but they can be very, very useful, particularly at networking with the wider public as well. So not just with the academic audiences. Uh, and so, for example, some of the ones that we present that in our uh, area here around Coventry and in, in, in the Midlands of, of England, um, there was one which actually I think is is international, uh, which think, is yeah, which think, is pint of I think science. Both of right? them are international. The other yes. one we wanted to mention oh, no, is right. data yeah, beers, yeah. um, and I think they're also in many countries. So have a look if you haven't heard about them yet. Yeah. So this yeah pint of science um, and data beers. Uh, these are two science festival events. The alcohols um, and both of them it's it's true, yeah, they... seems to be a thing about <laughs> science festivals. But... It's true. I, I think the the main goal with these kinds of events is that you are presenting academic work, but in the context of a more casual social environment mm. and I think that's the real key thing um, and and they can lead to a lot of opportunities so when I led um, when I spoke at Pint of Science um, again this was in Coventry I met a school head teacher I think it was mm. who, who wanted to me to speak at the school about um, autonomous yeah, you vehicles. You never know who's going to be in the audience right so how yeah. it's going to mix. Um, 
Yeah, for me, it was similar when I um, presented at DataBase. There was a council member and he said they're really interested in like public health and pharmacies. And yeah, we, we kept like um, emailing a little bit afterwards um, about different research opportunities. Um, so yeah, you yeah. never know. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and if in your area there aren't these kinds of organized festivals, well, a bit like how we talked about in the earlier bit around your university, you know, creating your own event for your university department, you could be as bold as to create your own kind of public event as well. Mm. You know, you could book a room in the university and just perhaps create an event on a platform like Eventbrite mm. and market it yourself and, and just bring people around to talk about your research. Uh, it's a bit more effort when it comes to mm. involving the general public, but why not, right? Yeah. I mean, it's people are What's interested. What's the worst that can happen? Exactly. And I think, yeah, even with things like kind of science or database even if you should not meet like people there um for networking after which which i think you will like even the presenters or it will always be interesting to meet other people that you can follow and see what they're doing so i think your every interaction i think um will be um you will profit from every every um interaction but yeah again something great you can put on your cv as well i think if you have shown that you communicated your research to different audiences yeah and, and perhaps that's the key point we should emphasize i just thought it just came to my mind now when you mentioned that is really the key thing with networking and all these kinds of things is not to go in with the mindset that you have to get a job at the end of it or you have to meet someone who's going to fund you or, or i need to meet this specific type of person but actually just to go in with the honest mentality mm. of meeting people yeah. and just getting your yeah. name out there and that's literally all there mm. is to it mm. um and so great segue one of the most prolific ways of getting your name out there and connecting with other people uh is our next point which is of course social media So let's talk about social media. This is kind of the, the buzzword these days, right? Everyone's talking about it. Uh, so let's talk a little bit first about LinkedIn, right? Mm. And Julia, that's actually how you got a job, right? Yeah, I think I might have mentioned that already in previous yeah. episodes. Yeah. I think I'm so, I was so, so excited yeah. about that, that it actually worked. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think by just keeping your LinkedIn up to date, um, posting um, your achievements or um little milestones that you achieve um, can be really helpful. And yeah, for me in that case, it was that I just posted a picture of the um, my thesis and um, not thinking anything would come Did about that. Did you use that, any quite particular hashtags? I don't think so, no, no. You just literally posted a picture of your yes. thesis. <laughs> and then, yeah, um, a company contacted me saying that it's like the my research topic was something that I'm really interested about and would fit really well with them and we yeah we I still to this date have never met them in person because that was during the COVID-19 pandemic but yeah I just had a remote um, job um, working with them um, and yeah it's great I, I didn't think that would work but yeah. I think you had also been a lot of contra um, interest from like different recruiters That's and stuff right. so I think it's definitely it costs you nothing right okay you give your data out there we have to say that and maybe you're not comfortable with that but I think it can be really useful yeah. That's right. And so some, to, some yeah. practical things for LinkedIn and, and the way, you know, if you're posting on there and not getting the kinds of engagement from recruiters or potential funders, um, here's some really important things. Is So the key thing about LinkedIn is that it's all about keywords across your profile. So 
look at job descriptions of things that you would apply to, right? And look at the keywords that they're using and ensure that they are there all over your profile. So wherever you've described your work experience, wherever you've talked about your degree, don't just put that you went to the university, make sure you really expand on what your responsibilities were in your PhD. Uh, think about those keywords, you know, in both our cases, you know, you're in healthcare and I'm in um, autonomous or in the automotive industry, but the kind of keywords that are user research and qualitative and quantitative and stats and all these things. Um, another really important thing for LinkedIn is to ensure that the skills section, so this is where you kind of add those keywords of different skills that you have, um, is really kept up to date and that you really maximize all the skills that you put on there because that's exactly how recruiters, recruiters will have a kind of separate search engine that they use on LinkedIn. I didn't actually and know that. Yeah, yeah. it's they, there's a kind of recruiter version and they actually, number one, they will search by skills. So I think this is something I've always ignored, that section, mm -hmm. because it always felt like, you know, you just, just Everybody putting things could in. Pull Everybody, in. You yeah. can put whatever you want in. But actually, it's really, really important to get that really spot on. Um, add photos to your LinkedIn, you know, as you mentioned, posting a picture of your thesis. Um, and of course, you know, once you get to the point where you're interested in new positions, um, then there is that indicator that lets you uh, essentially advertise to recruiters that you're open to new positions. Mm. Um, so really think about skills and keywords. Those are really, really important on LinkedIn. Um, and hopefully that will, you know, as, mm. as we found, can, can get you a lot of good opportunities. Twitter, of course, is something that, that we use a lot as well. And I think this is better for perhaps less so for jobs, but really through to, to, to sort of engage with other academics um, mm -hmm. in a bit more of a sort of active, informal environment. Um, and you can ask questions about research that's been posted. Um, yeah, and I think just to follow um, maybe some key people in your research or if you see the same authors coming up in your <laughs> literature review that you're often um, quoting or citing um, some researchers, then why not follow them if they are on Twitter? And um, so you're updated about what they're publishing, where they may be um, attending events or conference, which conferences are they going to? Because sometimes they tweet about that, right? So I think that's a really good thing if you use Twitter yeah, in a productive yeah. way um, that you actually gain it's, something. It can be, it can be a time waste really, as well. We can procrastinate a lot on Twitter. But I think, yeah, if you use it effectively, it's an amazing very, tool. Very yeah. powerful. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Instagram as well. Uh, and I've not, I think it's one of those platforms that is not yet prolific with kind of perhaps some of the kind of uh, older academics, <laughs> if, that, if that's the right term for them. Well, um, I'm not yet on Instagram, so I consider uh, myself as old. Older. But uh, certainly there is a massive uh, science communication uh, PhD community mm. on there of other PhD candidates that's incredibly supportive. And we've had a lot of communication uh, with this community on Instagram um, mm. through the podcast, but certainly go check them out because there's a lot of fantastic pages on there that are kind of sharing PhD journeys and it's a yeah, wonderful and community. There. Some people have become so creative and if I see like um, on your Instagram some people um, how they translated their research into really mm. funny short videos it's yeah. amazing so if you have an idea as well to be creative how to communicate your research I think that's a great starting point. Yes, uh -huh. and of course there is also ResearchGate as well, which is kind of the social media network designed mm -hmm. specifically for researchers. I think this is good for getting your papers specifically out there and having and a to more... get papers from other people, maybe yeah. request papers. But 
And I thought having... that, to be honest, there's not much happening well, on my I, research I, I found that there's, there's often quite a lot of like more focused conversation right. happening around papers. But again, it's really mm. what you put into it is what you get out of mm. it. So it's a bit hit or miss, really, if you never <laughs> yeah, use if, it. Yeah, maybe. I think it's still that I'm doing my PhD on that. I should update that. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just another thing to update and you can forget about it. But mm. uh, it, it can be useful and you may get sort of good uh, opportunities to network with other researchers through research gates uh so now we've talked about social media let's talk about the last one which is around stakeholder events so let's wrap up this week's episode with talking about stakeholder events now essentially these are we call them stakeholder but they can be also be sort of professional bodies that kind of work and, and represent your area but they can also be wider than that right they could be things like charities and, and businesses and policymakers. um so julia you've had i think compared to me probably more experience of contacting these kinds of groups what would you say are the key things um, to take i think away? only now really that i'm applying for um, a grant application or something that i'm planning or yeah thinking about like doing stakeholder events but yeah thinking back to my phd i think oh, i should have maybe done that back then that would have really helped me to like contact for example my phd was on pharmacy so i, I could have um got more involved like contacting um different pharmacy chains and independent pharmacies policymakers um to kind of um present to them and ask them what they think about my research and get kind of input from them and again i think you make can make really good context there so for example um i kept still in touch from my phd with a chair of one local pharmaceutical committee and he has been really helpful in other things that i've been working on so i think it's it's great if you um yeah just get to know the people that your research is there for in the end or um, that really really care about your topic and most likely I think they're going to be keen to be involved um, because it touches their business or, or whatever it is um, or if they're a charity then um, the people that they are supporting um, so it's just a very useful thing to do I think it can be quite um, daunting at the beginning um, that's why I think what what made me not do it in my PhD but I think yeah just be brave, send some emails out and see whether there's some interest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and to give an example, which I think will kind of touch uh, a couple of the points that we talked about this week um, from my own experience was uh, through a colleague who I knew from the department, he told me of uh, an opportunity that was being posted on LinkedIn. So then I went on LinkedIn, uh, saw a post from a member of this professional body. It was called ITS. Um, intelligent transport systems i think mm -hmm. uh, essentially an automotive group um and they were looking for a, a person to speak at their event on a particular topic in in the industry and I, I just sent a message to him on linkedin and say look you know this is what i'm doing would you be interested and they said yeah sure and yeah. you know that was that was then you know i went out to london presented at this event um, and so, you know, as you can see, there was multiple things, you know, from my local network near my mm. at my university and then connecting on LinkedIn to someone in the wider network. And then that was then presenting to essentially not just academics, but also, as you say, stakeholders. There were business business people there. There were there was, I think, a charity member there. Um, so you can see how suddenly if you utilize a range of these different methods, 
Um, and again, as we really emphasize, it's not about being the loudest voice or kind of no. being really, you know, extroverted and, and big networking person, right? Um, it's just about putting yourself out there, getting your name out there and just honestly engaging with people mm. and you, you never know what yeah. could come out of it. And I think, yeah, the key thing to remember, all, all those things I think that we mentioned take time, right? Attending uh, meetings in your unit, going to conferences, presenting science festivals, spending time on social media um, or um, creating stakeholder events. All of those things take time, but it's fine. I think in your PhD, I think it's really important that you um, plan in time for those kind of things. Mm. And you don't have to do all of the things that we said, but maybe focus on one or two of those things and um, set yourself little goals. Okay, in one year, I want to have presented at one science festival or something like that. Yeah. Um, just, um, yeah, that you kind of get more experience in, in different in different areas. Yes. And grow your network. And then you can look back, I think, um, often we don't realize how much our networks have grown as well. But if you, for example, just like take a note um, or reflect after a year, how many people have you met like outside of your area or in your area the last year? I think then you might be surprised how much you've already done without really knowing it. Um, so yeah, just keep yeah, your ears, absolutely. ears open. That's yes. right. <laughs> On ice. Open. Ears and no. eyes open. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so hopefully those tips have given you the confidence to go and pursue this and, and go and spread you and your search to the world. So thank you so much for listening to another episode of How to PhD. Before we end the show this week, we want to give a shout out to listeners at Anya underscore Erasmus20 and at Hello Mary Beth uh, on Twitter who have been prolific in promoting our show and sharing it with, yeah, so with nice other listeners to see that. Thanks so, so much, yeah. incredibly kind and um, we're always so touched when when listeners go out of their way and take their time to share the show uh, which is really really wonderful and and such a fantastic support um, so thank you so much to both of you um, and also shout out to all of our listeners who support us over on buy me a coffee um, and left really wonderful comments, really incredible. Um, of course, if you're able to support the show, then we appreciate all of the support. Um, so you can do that by, as I said, leaving a donation over on Buy Me A Coffee or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review counts and means the world to us. Uh, and of course, if you know someone who you think could benefit from this episode on networking and building your academic uh, network, then please do share this with them. Uh, do get in touch, email contact at howtophd.show, Twitter and Instagram at howtophd show are the ways to get in touch with us over there. Uh, and of course, thanks to jobs.ac.uk for, for continually uh, supporting our show and promoting it. Fantastic resources over there on, in fact, a lot of them on kind of networking and, and getting uh, in touch with other people as well as all the kind of job related stuff with, with PhDs. So do check out their resources at jobs.ac.uk. Next week, talking about jobs and continuing mm. this theme, Julia, is oh, something yeah. very linked Links to that. very nicely. So next time we're going to talk about how you can tailor your CV um, when you apply to different um, roles in academia or in industry. Um, so I did several um, workshops um, in my master's actually already on how to do a CV. And I learned so much from that, I think, because um, the way I used to do my CV back then, and I think it might differ from country to country as well, um, how CVs are done, but I, I think it has been really useful and hopefully can share some um, helpful information. Yes, yeah, should be a really interesting one. So thank you again so much for listening. Have a wonderful week and we will see you all next time. Mm -hmm.